Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to the Sex Wrap. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Sex Wrap. You're here today with Andrew and Spring. You're, wait, hold on, there's something wrong. Spring isn't here, everybody. You're here today with Andrew and Nick. Nick is your new favorite, I was gonna say sex pervert on the internet. That's not the right one. Um, <laughs> your new favorite sexpert on the internet. Joining me uh, today, uh, I have the absolute pleasure of getting to work with him here at the University of Miami. How are you doing today, Nick? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and today of our episode, we're gonna be talking about uh, dating violence. Um, and I just want to put it out there uh, that I know a lot of people, a lot of our listeners have probably been the victim of violence. And we're going to be giving or the victim of dating violence. We're going to be giving you some resources at the end of the episode. Um, just, just putting that out there at the beginning. But Nick, how are you doing today? I am doing super well. Uh, very excited to uh, be a new resident of Coral Gables, Florida. Excited for my first hurricane in Miami. It's going to be good. So for those of you who don't know, Nick is new here, um, and uh, Nick bought a house. I did. My first house. It's just super scary. It's super cute, and uh, he bought a house, and then Miami is getting its first hurricane approximately three days yeah, after. Yeah, really great timing on my part. Yeah. Not so great. <laughs> um, but he'll be fine. We'll be fine. Um, we do talk about the weather too much. I said we weren't going to talk about the weather. We're still talking about the weather. There are hurricanes <laughs> coming. It's... They're a little freaky, a little scary, but this one's extra small. You'll be totally fine. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, so uh, we just finished Pride Month. Did you do anything special for Pride? Um, you know, I did not do anything super special for Pride, although my parents came down for the first time and it was during Pride and we did some fun like Pride activities in Coral Gables. And it was really cool because, you know, they're not huge Pride people. Uh, and it took them a while to come around to, you know, me being out and so i'm really glad they were able to join and hang out with me yeah my parents still haven't done anything pride i don't think they would um but the good news for you is that pride in south florida doesn't happen um when it happens in the rest of the country normally True. we have super early pride in april um because summer here is pretty killer um and this year we're actually having the full pride in september so we'll be able to yeah. go out full force um I sorted socks this morning. It's about the most boring thing that you can think of, except <laughs> I realize I have like 40 different pairs of different kinds of gay socks. Um, oh, I guess all of my bad. socks are gay socks, but these ones are really gay. Like <laughs> unicorns and rainbows and lots of rainbow. I can't wait to see them. Yeah. All right. So um, our topic today uh, is going to be talking about dating violence. Um, and it's something that's come up in quite a few questions that we've had from our listeners um, asking, like, what do I do? I don't know how to feel after this date. Um, Spring and I talked about uh, the Aziz Ansari article that came out a couple years ago talking about, um, like, what happened in the situation. And sometimes people have problems identifying it. Um, so Nick, do you want to tell us a little bit about dating violence, like what it is, what does it look like? How common is it? Yeah. Um, so dating violence is the most common type of violence uh, that people will experience in their lives. And it's a lot more prevalent than people give it credit for. Um, we know, you know, like, there are statistics out there uh, that one in three women will experience some sort of, uh, you know, intimate partner violence during their lives. Um, but people who are between the ages of 15 and 30 uh, will experience violence as well. And sometimes those rates are a lot higher. Uh, for instance, I think the CDC says that, you know, one in 11 uh, girls in high school will experience some sort of dating violence and one in 14 guys. Uh, but of course, like that covers up 
a lot of different variability depending on who you are and who you date, right? So, you know, people who are in same-sex relationships, uh, gender-fluid people and gender non-conforming folks, people who are racialized, indigenous, uh, have much higher rates of violence than a lot of other groups. Um, yeah. So when you say dating violence, what do you actually mean by that, right? Because sometimes those terms, like someone, when, when, when you just say violence, I think of like someone getting hit or someone getting punched. Mm. Um, but it's a lot bigger than that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like violence can be that. It can be physical violence, uh, which is often like what people think of whenever they think of uh, dating violence. But it also covers... Um, emotional violence. So, you know, being humiliated in front of others by a partner, being yelled at in a way that makes you feel small, um, it includes sexual violence, which in addition to being coerced and doing a sex act you don't want to do, um, includes, you know, being sent nudes whenever you didn't uh, consent to that. It, you know, contains things like um, online sexual coercion and uh, sexual uh, assault uh, as well. And then it also includes uh, monitoring and stalking behaviors. And that happens a lot more than I think we realize. People who are uh, using location-based apps or people who are tracking your DMs or your uh, texts without you knowing or have hacked into your email, all of those things uh, are considered dating violence as well. I mean, it, it kind of blows my mind that people are still sending unsolicited pictures Oh, a dick pic is a dime a dozen these days. You know that. I mean, I do know that. I mean, it <laughs> happens to me. I'm in a long-term relationship. I'm not out there <laughs> playing the field and then right into my phone, um, right into my DMs. I mean, the sex rap. We have Instagram with almost 50,000 followers. Thank you, followers. If you're if you are not, if you're a listener and not a follower, you should go check it out. We're constantly posting, you know, messages about sex positivity that relate to the things that we talk about on the show. That account gets dicks. Really? All the time. Constant stream. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, your uh, your Instagram account is uh, the subject of dating violence, it, I would it, say. I mean, and they're like, our, our faces aren't even on it. Like so, <laughs> but it's just kind of crazy that sexual the faces violence- faces aren't on the dick pics either, so. <laughs> <laughs> Probably better than the face. No, okay, taking a step back. Um, yeah, so I mean, the, the level, like the total number of different kinds of things that count towards dating violence is huge. Um, and I think it, a lot of people uh, are victims of it and don't even know because it's become so commonplace in mm. society for all of these different kinds of events to occur in our lives that we just sort of accept it as like, ah, it just sort of happens. It's yeah. sort of normal um, that this person who I'm thinking about going on a date with, this person who I might like, this person who that, who like, you know, I might actually want to have sex with at some point, like is doing these things. And I feel kind of ooey about it, but I'm so used to it that I don't put those words there. And I think that's why it's so important that we have you with us today, Nick, is because you're going to help us put that word, that label on all of those negative things that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, once you realize that this is happening to you or this is happening to a friend of yours and they're feeling unsafe in their relationship or they're feeling some sort of way about their relationship and they don't really know how to put a, a pin on it. Um, this type of this term can be really empowering to say like, this is something that I know is happening and I don't want it to happen anymore. Yeah. To me or to anybody else. Um, so you were just talking about some of those online dating apps. Um, and I think that's a, a really great place for us to talk about dating violence a little bit more. Um, 
What would you say are some red flags when we're looking mm. at online, you know, online dating apps and, and, and I don't know, like <clears throat> eHarmony or Tinder or Bumble. <laughs> or Plenty or, of Fish or Farmers Only. Yeah. You know, all of them. There's a lot of them. Um, yeah. So it can be really hard to tell because a lot of times uh, the people who are exhibiting these types of behaviors uh, don't give you the red flags right up front. They wait until you feel safe. They wait until there's some sort of uh, sense of um, stability before uh, they use violence as a way of controlling or monitoring you. Um, a lot of times this stems from insecurities that people have. A lot of times it stems from, you know, violence or trauma that they've experienced in their own lives. And so it's really hard to find that kind of stuff out about a person on a first date. You know, I think if someone says in a profile, like I'm the jealous type, or I want you as mine or any sort of ownership and possession language, like that's always a red flag, but it doesn't need to be like that. And you shouldn't feel as if you should have seen this coming. I think that's a huge lesson that, um, that I had to learn was you can't blame yourself in any way for this, but especially if you, um, don't see any of the red flags that you think you should have, uh, that's not your fault. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, this is one of those, the, the, these issues that sort of can creep into relationships as well, right? It might not start at the very beginning. Um, but, um, I mean, I love how you said like, I'm the jealous type, mm -hmm. like it comes pretty quickly into it. Um, and, and Nick also mentioned something I, I want to come back to, like you said, it's about control and monitoring mm. behaviors, right? Yeah. A lot of time, I mean, intimate partner violence is what like we call it in the biz. And dating violence or intimate partner violence or IPV is a pattern, right? It's a pattern of control and behavior. Oftentimes we, we see like um, in same-sex relationships, which is the kind of relationships that uh, I'm in, but also that I study and that I research, we find that physical violence is something that is bi-directional, something that, you know, this is a way that these guys um, use to settle conflict, right? But it's not a measure of power and control where one person has a lot of um, control over the behaviors of another or uh, and then that's just a really poorly uh, set up relationship where people don't know how to communicate. Right. So there's a difference between the physical violence that occurs in a relationship like that and the physical violence that occurs in a relationship where one person feels intimidated, belittled, humiliated um, or sexually coerced in a way that has to do with power and control. So you're bringing up a lot of like the key points of the entirety of the sex rep talking about, you know, how do we communicate about issues and mm. how do we have healthy communication about issues? And then I think one of the things that leads to intimate partner violence and dating violence is that people are taught their whole lives that they shouldn't talk about sex and they shouldn't talk about their emotional feelings and yeah. they shouldn't do all of those things. Uh, and then they enter into relationships or they try to enter into mm. relationships and they still don't talk about the things that they need or they want or how they need yeah. to be fulfilled. Um, but not talking about something still doesn't give you the power, the right, the authority to perpetrate any kind of dating violence. Right? Absolutely. I mean, just because you have experienced, let's say, you've experienced things in your past uh, or you've seen your parents uh, and they were in a, a violent relationship and you don't know how else to model a, you know, a well-performing relationship. Like those things aren't your fault, but that doesn't give you license to perpetrate violence against somebody else. Right. So I think one of the most important things that, uh, you know, people in high school, when they start into getting into relationships or college um, is uh, to understand like relationship skills. And that's not a lot of like, 
lessons that we get. We don't get relationship skills 101 in high school. You know, we barely like understand how to work our bank accounts in high school, let alone how to, you know, be in a functional relationship. With Wait, you can use your bank account now? <laughs> Listen, I have a little, my little app. It tells me what to spend money on. I ask it if I have money to go out to dinner. It tells me no. That's about as far as it is. Yes. <laughs> I, I do not have a bi-directional bank account. Mine just goes down. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, relationship skills are real skills. Um, and I mean, there's different, you can, you learn them, right? Like people model mm. those skills based on the relationships that they're used to. So if you have dysfunctional parents who shout all the time and yeah. are constantly, you know, degrading each other, you think that's normal, you move into a relationship, you take some of that with you, unless at some point in your life, you've sat down and talked about it or thought about it or read a book about it mm. or listened to this podcast. Do. Huh? Yeah, that's the other thing is that like, oftentimes we have a lot of, tr we get a lot of trial and error in our relationships when it's a uh, fairly safe to do so. So your first few relationships in high school and in college maybe um, are sort of, you know, the type of relationships that have lower stakes. For queer people, especially, we don't get a lot of those opportunities in high school and, and until we are out on our own sometimes. And so um, the opportunity to learn some of those relationship skills is much lower for people who are in queer relationships than people who are in heterosexual relationships. And so understanding relationship skills in non-male, female, cisgendered relationships is super important and not something that we do very well. Well, and even if we look to the media, right? Like often we learn about relationships from ridiculous things like shows on Netflix or sitcoms. Um, if we look at gay characters, queer characters in those shows, most of the time they are a-relational. Like mm. there's a gay character, um, Will and Grace is an old show. Uh, I didn't, I never really liked it. But if you look at the gay characters in it, they were never in bed. They were never in like long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. They never showed them having, you know, like, what does dating look like? You look at Grace, she's in and out of bed with 25 different men over mm -hmm. the course of the show. So you actually get to watch her experiment and grow. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, there's a, it, it's really a long-term process to get better at relationships. And that's always a weird thing to say. Like, you need some training wheels, you need mm -hmm. to practice, you need to get better. Um, there's, there's lots of different things that uh, we could talk about here. Um, I'm just gonna give two little stories and then uh, we have to take a break. Uh, but uh, I love Bob Ross. He's a painter. Who doesn't love Bob Ross? Uh, and he was in the military and he was a drill sergeant apparently and he shouted yeah, all the time, nice. super loud, screamy. And he got out of the military and he's like, you know what? I want a quiet life. And he never raised his voice again. Interesting. Like, like he learned that lesson. Um, for me, it's much more direct. My parents are yellers. Um, <laughs> and my whole life was like constant screaming mm. in the house, like, like for ridiculous small things. Um, and I got out of the house and I started, you know, seeing other people and in relationships. And I realized that I never want to raise my voice again. So I haven't yelled mm. in years and years and years like okay i'll cheer for things and i'll squeal for things and like if a drag queen is stomping down the sidewalk at palace in south beach you I'm snap screaming. Yeah, yeah. like yeah but i actually snap i don't usually clap either there you go like See? a quieter life because i think that's more constructive for better communication and speaking of communication here's a word from our sponsors we'll be right back All right, everybody, welcome back to The Sex Wrap. Today, um, Nick and I are talking about dating violence, interpersonal violence. Um, and so far, we've been talking about what it looks like and why it's so common and maybe some of those causes for it. It's important to say none of those causes make it okay. It does not matter what background you came from. You are not allowed to pr 
or perpetuate or to commit violence against other people. Um, so if you're listening and you, you know, you like, you've noticed like, oh, maybe these are some things that I do, just sit back and think about it a little bit. Um, I always tell people, whenever you have a strong emotion come up, you want to put a one or two second gap in your brain before you act on it. And once again, that's a skill that you have to learn as well. But just whenever you feel something coming up, put a gap and like, is this something I should do? Is this something that's going to make my relationships in my life stronger and better? Is this someone that is this something that's going to build up the people around me? And if it's not any of those things, then you know, it's an emotion. You have the power and control to not act on it. Um, so uh, there's a couple other things that I think that we should talk about today. Um, so what do we do? Like, what, what advice do we give to people if some of these issues happen to them? And why don't we start with something small? Why don't we start talking about like, you know, like an awkward text or maybe an unsolicited picture? And then we'll, you know, we'll talk about what we do is, you know, it gets a little bit more severe. So what do you, what, what, what do we tell people like mm -hmm. when, when dating violence happens to you, what should your response be? Mine is dump them. <laughs> um, you, you hear me many episodes saying dump them. Um, I have no idea how I ended up in a healthy relationship with my partner <laughs> because, uh, m my patience for these kind of things is really, really small. Yeah. Like I, I just, I don't want to live in that world, but, um, most people give, multiple chances. So for people who are into multiple chances, what do you do? Like, what do you say when this happens to you? This is the huge opportunity for uh, your relationship to grow if that's what you choose to do with it, right? Like if you want this to happen and you are in this, like the beginnings of this relationship and you're noticing some, some issues that maybe this person's a little bit uh, more demanding of your time than you'd like, or someone is uh, checking up on where you are more often than you think is necessary. Like those are conversations you need to have you should be able to have with somebody that you care about right off the bat. Um, and it's a really hard thing to do. And it's a lot harder to do than it is to tell you to do. But the, the idea is just to say like, we need to be on the same page with how we want this relationship to run. Do you know that this makes me uncomfortable? If you do know, then why are you doing it? If you don't know, I'm telling you now that this makes me uncomfortable, right? Like those are conversations that should be able to be had by two people who are young adults in a relationship. Yeah. If that doesn't help uh, abate some of the discomfort that you're feeling from, let's say, unsolicited pictures or, you know, somebody asking where you are all the time or, or some of those monitoring, controlling behaviors that uh, you're not cool with, then you can also go to your trusted friends, people that you hang out with to, to let them know that this is happening because it's so easy to overlook something uh, when somebody you care about is doing it. If you let somebody else in your life who you know has your back, tell them that this is going on. I'm not ready to dump them yet, but I just feel like you should know that this is happening. They're going to look out for you as well. And they'll tell you when something is out of the ordinary because it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in how much we care about a person that we overlook what they're doing to us. I mean, I think friends are a great resource and I think it's really important to have those conversations with your friends. Also, if you're thinking about dating somebody and they're not willing to have a conversation about getting on the same page, mm -hmm. dump them. Yeah. Like, Go ahead and dump them. Yeah. Oh, woo, that's so nice. I know. <laughs> Spring, when you listen to this later, she's going to be like, no, don't dump them. Try. Um, but here's the thing. When we talk about dating violence, oftentimes what I do is a, they're called dyadic interventions, couples-based interventions. But the couples-based interventions, the end goal of these is not always to save the relationship. 
right? If the relationship is not healthy for one or both members of the people of the couple, then it shouldn't be a relationship. If it's beyond repair, then it shouldn't be a relationship, I mean, right? And that's okay. I'm a huge proponent of breakups. I'm a huge proponent of divorce. We've had um, our lovely friend Cindy Darnell on the show four or five times. She's this amazing sex therapist, and she does that kind of uh, therapy with people, that counseling with people. Um, and I think it is really important that often the end goal of those conversations is not to stay together, right? Mm. It's to have a, a, an okay parting, um, okay separation. Um, so what do we do when things are a little bit more severe, right? Yeah. Like maybe there's yelling, maybe there's coercion, maybe there's actual like physical violence happening. Like what would you recommend uh, that someone would do at that point? Yeah, I mean, Again, this is super personalized to anybody who's experiencing this. And um, like we said at the top of the show, if you do feel like this is triggering for you, like there are resources in the show notes that you can go to right now. Um, so feel free to do that. There are really great resources online that provide chat-based, text-based, and phone-based uh, resources. So like the National Domestic Violence uh, Research or National Domestic Violence uh, Council, the Rape and Incest National Network, RAIN, um, and there's also an adolescent uh, teen dating violence hotline uh, that we can also put in the show notes. But uh, those three things are really good if you feel uncomfortable, if you feel scared, if you feel hurt, or if something really unfortunate has happened uh, with your partner, then those are resources that you can always go to. If you feel that it's something that like you aren't uh, immediately traumatized by, but that you want to stop and never want to happen again, uh, then I think it's important to go again to your friends to confront the person if you're comfortable doing that. Make sure it's in a public setting. Um, and also uh, realize that a lot of people who who perpetrate violence are in fact traumatized themselves, right? And so like Upal says, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? There's There's got to be some introspection there on that person's part. And so, um, you know, if you feel comfortable doing that, uh, you can take a step back from the relationship and tell that person that they need to get right with themselves before you're able to continue being in the relationship with them. Yeah, uh, there, there, there's so many important things that Nick just said. Um, do it in public, right? Like he kind of made that as a as like the side comment. But if you're having these conversations, make sure that you're doing it in a safe place. Make sure that you have a friend there. Make sure that you have support ready for you. Um, and I think it's also important for us to say that it is not okay that these things happen to you. Mm -hmm. Like you don't forgive and just let it continue, right? You can forgive somebody, not my greatest skill in the world, mm -hmm. but, um, but forgiveness and apologies are, they, when it, forgiveness happens with an apology, um, the person needs to say, I'm sorry, I did this thing and I'm going to do better. Right? There can't be any buts. There can't be any you know, excuses that come up inside of that apology if you're thinking about the reconciling with that person. Um, but you should expect and you should extract an apology in these situations as well. Like I'm all for coercive apologies where you force somebody <laughs> to do that reflection and that thinking. Because if it doesn't happen, and, and when Nick mentioned that, like the person who's committing the violence has to think about it. They have to identify why they've done it, they have to be able to verbalize why it's wrong, right? And then they have to make a commitment to not continuing those behaviors. Because if they do, they'll be in the same situation. And we know that there are millions of women in the United States, and probably millions of men in the United States who consistently have violence committed against them, mm -hmm. and they forgive it, and it becomes their norm. Um, and we don't want that to happen to you 
or to anybody else. And that's why these conversations are so important, especially at the beginning. That's why we talked about red flags about 20 minutes ago. Like <laughs> if one of those red flags happens early, it is not your job to fix somebody else. It is not your job to make sure that they don't like, Certainly you want to help them. Certainly you don't want it to happen to anybody else, but do not enter into a relationship with somebody who's committing any of these kind of behaviors, thinking that you're the one who can make it better, right? right? The only person who can make it better is that person saying, I have a problem. I commit violence against other people and I don't want to do it anymore. Right. So maybe you can help push that dialogue forward. But um, like most of the topics on the show, people are terrified to have these conversations. They're exactly. afraid they're going to turn someone off. They're afraid that they're going to sound prissy. They're afraid that they're going to sound slutty. They're afraid that they're going to sound prudish. They're afraid they're going to sound any sort of way. But I think that this is a perfect segue to understanding that, yes, you're not responsible for fixing anybody else and their behavior, but there are things that you, if this, some of these things are happening to you and you can't find an immediate way out of this relationship, um, there are things that you can do to empower yourself and to plan uh, to, for making yourself safer. And we can go over some of those things too. I mean, I think it's really important. Um, with all of the advice we've ever given on the sex rep, we always you know, say like, make sure that you're safe, right? Like your safety is paramount. Make sure that you're having these conversations in safe places. And I think that ensuring your safety is really important. And, and I think tips and tricks for this are really important for our listeners to hear. So, so what would you recommend? So there are lots of different things like safety planning behaviors that, that you can use um, to make yourself feel safer and to make yourself actually safer uh, when you're in a relationship with someone who is perpetuating some sort of dating violence against you. For instance, um, a lot of people make sure that uh, when they know that there's going to be an argument over some issue that they do it in a public place or they do it in a place where they can easily leave the home um, if you're sharing a space together. There are uh, ways that you can turn off, um, you know, tracking on your phone, that you can go private, that you can use browsers that don't track any of your data um, that can allow you to access resources and to talk to people without that person knowing that you're doing it. Um, there are also uh, legal and uh, financial things that you can do to plan for your safety, right? Like you can make sure that you have a copy of your driver's license and your passport and um, anything else that you might need if you need to go out quickly, like that you can grab that go bag and it has everything you might need for an overnight uh, and some important papers. You can have that ready to go. Um, and then also legally, you can make sure that, you know, your finances are separated as much as possible, that you're putting a little bit of money away so that you can afford to live without that person on a day to day basis until you get your feet under you. Those are for really extreme circumstances for people who have been living with violence for a long time, who maybe have kids with a person and like don't feel like they can leave right away, but they can be tailored to any sort of relationship. Yeah, I mean, and I think we can take this all the way back to dating. Um, so a lot of people love Tinder. Uh, but something that uh, Spring and I both recommend, I don't know how Nick feels you can weigh in, is that if you're a woman, Bumble is a, a lot better in many ways because only women can initiate conversations. So there can't be unsolicited dick pics just flying your way. Um, and then for, for gay men and for lesbians, I think it's a little bit harder in those instances because like the gatekeep, like in traditional, you know, uh, heterosexual relationships, like women are the gatekeeper for sex. A horrible place that they've been put societally but in lesbian uh and gay relationships that doesn't happen and sometimes it's a lot harder to identify these issues um and if we look at you know gender and gender roles women are much more likely trained throughout their whole lives to either 
diffuse mm -hmm. or talk about it, um, sometimes in same-sex relationships, those gender roles don't exist and it's harder. Um, so there are additional resources um, available for lesbians and gay men. Um, you know, the, this, the societal stereotypes that gay men are effeminate and lesbians get a U-Haul and move in together and everything's lovey-dovey. Like <laughs> those are stereotypes that are don't necessarily uh, pan out in the end because we know that uh, same-sex relationships have higher levels of these different kinds of dating violence mm -hmm. um, because they don't get to practice like we talked about earlier, but also because there's a lot of gender roles and gender norms that don't exist inside of those relationships that can lead to elevated levels. Um, so if you're one of our queer listeners, um, just make sure that, you know, you shouldn't be the victim of this either. Even though we have a society that's sometimes shouting from the rooftops that you don't deserve or you're not worth or you're not here or you're not a member, like you do deserve to be loved and you don't deserve to be treated poorly in relationships from the beginning to the end. But it's a little bit harder in, ter in terms of dating apps um, for like there's scissor for lesbians, but then there's no protection on the other side. And then for, for gay men and their dating apps, good luck. <laughs> It's all like two words. Yeah, exactly. But the what we're learning, and this is so interesting, is that the reasons behind why people experience and why they perpetrate violence are different depending on the type of relationship they're in, right? So for male-female relationships, right, a lot of it has to do with these gender roles that you were talking about. Guys feeling uh, either emasculated by, um, by their female partner or the female partner, like, running up against some sort of gender norm she didn't know she was running up against and that making the guy angry. For queer relationships, a lot of it has to do with the idea of us just having higher levels of stress because we live in a heterosexual world, right? Like our endocrine systems and our brains are, are revving on red line a lot more often. And so we have a lot less room uh, to adequately resolve conflicts. And that has to do with like anybody who's under high levels of stress. So one of the best things that we can do to help avoid this from happening in the first place is to reduce levels of stress in all aspects of your life. So I mean, I mean just think about yourself in your life. Like you get stressed out sometimes. And when you are stressed out, you are much more likely to pick a fight with somebody or somebody mm -hmm. will say something and you'll get super pissed off at them. Um, Cause our brains have a pretty limited capacity for those kind of emotions. And all of a sudden, you know, we're just sort of flailing. Um, and we do know that uh, minorities do experience more stress. Um, but uh, if you go back a couple episodes, I don't have the number with me right now. Spring actually did a whole meditation to help you de-stress, but there are a lot of resources for that as well. Um, mm -hmm. you know. All right, well, we have to take another break, but when we get back, we're gonna talk a little bit how you can help a friend if you think a friend is in one of these issues. Um, so see you in a minute. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Sex Wrap. Uh, you're here today with Andrew and Nick, and we're talking about dating violence. Um, and we just spent, I don't know, probably 10, 15 minutes talking about what do you do if it happens to you and how can you prevent it? Um, but I think it's also really important for us to talk about what do you do if you're the friend, right? Because mm -hmm. we've mentioned going to friends. Like, how can, like, so you go to a friend. What does that friend say? Like, how does a friend really help somebody who's been the victim of dating violence? The first thing that anybody can do, if you, if someone comes to you and says like, Hey, my partner uh, did X, Y, or Z, like the number one thing you can do is believe them at face value, right? Like, of course I did. That's exactly what happened. Tell me more. I'm so sorry that happened to you, right? Like don't play any of those games of 
that we know are not good to play, right? What were you wearing? Did you tell them not to? Did you tell her to do this, right? Like any of those things, not helpful. So don't do them. The other thing is to keep an eye out for the people that you care about, right? When someone's trying to, you know, starting to date someone new, look out for some of these things. We said there are no huge red flags, but as you get to know somebody, you might start to notice some patterns of behavior that could be unhealthy and that could go unnoticed by the person who's in the relationship. So if, you know, the person is asking where they are all the time, if the person is, um, you know, in their DMs all the time, if their person is uh, physically or sexually abusive or coercive, like those are huge things that you should bring to their attention as a friend. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of other things that you can look at. Like uh, you see people enter into relationships and their partner is really jealous of you or their partner tries to, uh, or the new person tries to kind of cut the friend out of their life or tries to change yeah. those sort of relationships. Um, but I, I really like what Nick said, like you have to listen, you have to believe, um, and then you have to be able to give them some strategies. Um, like you're going to be talking to your friend about potentially leaving someone or potentially breaking up with somebody or potentially doing some really hard things. Like I say, dump them just kind of facetiously on the show. <laughs> breaking up with someone is hard, especially if you really like the person, even early in a relationship, it can feel really threatening because you spent so much time and energy. Um, there's this thing called the sunk cost fallacy. Um, all it means is if you sink a lot of time and energy and effort into something, you think it's worth saving or that if you give it up or you stop doing it, that you've wasted all that time and energy. You don't live very long. Life is short. You don't have to keep sinking energy into something that's not worth it. Um, and they're not, right? If someone continues to do these kind of things to you, just they're not worth it. Getting away from dumping them though. You're the friend. Someone has a conversation. You believe them. You trust them. You give them a place to sleep if you can. Um, and you ask questions, right? A good friend is not only about support, but a good friend is also going to be like, well, what about these behaviors? Or what's going on in these situations, right? A good friend is supposed to challenge you. Mm -hmm. A good friend is not just supposed to constantly like- Affirm you and everything. Right, mm -hmm. like a good friend is supposed to ask you those kind of questions. So if you wanna be that good friend, look out for people in relationships. Um, you see cheesy things in movies, like uh, you send a, like you plan a phone call or you send a text in the middle of a meal or like you can be like the intermediary break, but. The, the intermediary break inside of that conversation, but it is not your job as a friend to have that conversation either, right? Like you are not the one who runs into the relationship and then starts slaying down <laughs> the house. You don't get to read people. Um, usually that causes more damage to the person that you're trying to protect. Right, you always wanna ask permission from the person who says that they've experienced dating violence uh, before you ever go to the person who she or he says perpetrated it or they. So the idea is that like you are constantly on the side of the friend who came to you, but you don't want to do anything that would make them feel even further out of control than they might already feel, right? So you want to, especially if this is uh, sexual coercion, sexual assault, or anything having to do with invasion of privacy, you want to make sure that you are making that person feel as in control and believed and safe as you possibly can. That's your job. Yep. And if you do that, you will help your friend um, either work on repairing that relationship or help them move on to a better relationship, right? Because we were talking about it all the way at the beginning of the episode. Like, you're not supposed to have one relationship and be done with it, right? You're supposed to <laughs> learn from your relationships. You're supposed to get better at communication and relationship skills and practice them. And if something's bad in a relationship, you hopefully get better at, you know, leaving a relationship positively. Um, I'm actually friends with almost all of my exes still. That is impressive. Except for Paul. 
He's an a-hole. But if you're listening, Paul, you're an a-hole. Oh, he does listen. He wants me back. <laughs> they always do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so we are, I think, at the end. Is there anything else that you want to add uh, for our listeners before we get to the tip? And the, just the tip at the end is, uh, like, if you could consolidate down this entire episode into just a few sentences, what would it be? Got it. Yeah. Um, so before that, mm, I think uh, we just want to make sure that everybody understands that this happens a lot more than we think it does. And if you yourself haven't experienced it, then someone who you know and who, are, who you're close to probably has. And so being able to be a solid friend to somebody who's experiencing it and being able to look out for the warning signs of dating violence is huge and will definitely come in handy at some point in your life. I guarantee it. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important that we're looking for this because we know it's there and it's often invisible, right? So, so my tip is... Um, what happens behind closed doors, what happens with people's texts around us, we don't get to see it unless we ask those questions. Um, so be willing to engage in the conversation and be willing to ask those questions. And they're important conversations to have. And if you start having them with your friends, your friends will start having them with their friends. It's like one of those pay it forward, mm -hmm. forward moments by saying like, hey, is everything okay in your relationship? Because um, we all know, like we all recognize when someone around us is struggling, like, we all see those kind of things, but dating violence happens and people don't necessarily feel comfortable to share it. So it's going to be our job just to look a little bit deeper in our relationships as well. Yeah, I think though that's spot on. Uh, Andrew's totally right. Uh, if I could add anything to that, it would just be make sure that um, that you are keeping yourself safe as well, right? Like if you are noticing something in your relationship that's not right, learn some communication skills, talk to people who know have been in long-term relationships, figure out the best way to bring this up with this person uh, because you want to make sure that you are uh, as safe in your relationship as you possibly can be. So be safe, everybody. Um, if you have any questions about this episode or any follow-ups that you need, um, or if you have any other questions about relationships, about sex, sexual health, about love, I don't know if we could do one. We haven't done an episode about love yet. I don't know what I would say. Mm, let's do a love episode. Okay. Next week on the, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> if you have any questions, just let us know. Uh, you can uh, send us an email. We're the sex wrap at gmail.com. That's wrap with a W, like wrap it up. Um, you can call us up 413-I-Rap-It, and you can find us on social media at the sex wrap. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or just too Music for this episode provided by the ever-elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.